Blog Talk Radio. Chatting with Nat is a podcast for independent women seeking to speak their truth and to break down barriers. We host honest conversations that help to guide and empower women. Speak your truth and set yourself free. Let your voice be heard. Hi everyone, this is Chatting with Nat, and today we have the honor of having children's musician Irene Rose. The number one children's musician in South Carolina, Irene Rose, has won multiple radio songwriting competitions and was was selected for showcases in both America's Got Talent and American Idol. She has produced 13 albums and has had over 30 songs on the radio. Wow. She has been featured on Everyday Hero for her her three-part music series, Song to Grow On, and her work with anti-bullying and human trafficking advocacy. She has been signed in Nashville and in New York, and toured internationally. Let's give her a round of applause. (laughs) Hi, Irene. How are you? Hey, Nat. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me tonight. Oh, it is my pleasure. It is my pleasure. Now, how have you been during this? Now, let me start. How do I start this? (laughs) <laughs> elections, George Floyd, COVID, COVID had some babies. Uh, so pandemic, uh, Roe versus Wade, tsunamis, presidents getting assassinated, polio uh, is trying to make a comeback, a monkeypox, although that's kind of gone down, all these vaccina- vaccinations, um, all these things going on in the world. How have you been? How have you handled it? Ooh, different times of day, I'll give you a different answer. <laughs> but I'm feeling really great right now. Um, COVID really did change some things for me. I used to run a children's entertainment company called Once Upon a Party, where we did princesses and pirates and superheroes. And I had a summer tour of 30-something shows booked, and I lost all of it. Oh, um, been canceled for for COVID. So I did a few virtual things here and there, but it's not the same as performing in public. And that really changed the trajectory for me. I took some educational courses on sync licensing where I learned mm. about writing music film and TV and right. commercializing music and got a producer partner. I learned how to produce a little bit more. I got in the okay. studio every week and um, I started writing lullabies. Well, I got pregnant with a baby. <laughs> so, you oh, know, wow. lots happened. I've come out on the other side doing great. Wow. So you had a, is that a pandemic COVID baby? I know. I've heard that those babies are pretty smart. What do you say? Oh, I'm a little biased, but she's the most angelic little sweetheart. <laughs> oh, my gosh. She's amazing. I love uh, that. Yesterday, yesterday at toddler time, she climbed out of my lap, went up in front of 40 people with the leaders and started clapping and like doing the song in front of everybody. And I was like, that's my daughter. That's yes. That's your daughter. She's showing you she's got what it takes. Um, let me tell you, I've heard so much about them. They are the smartest kids out there. Um, so you better watch out. She might take over the world one day. I hope she does. 
All right. I love that. I love that. Um, these have been crazy times. So one of the questions I like to ask is this, and I give you a little story. You know, during these past three years, it's been God awful. Um, but there have been pros during this time. Um, obviously, during uh, COVID pandemic and all this other crap that's gone on, uh, people have died, people have lost limbs, a lot of people have lost loved ones. But there have been some pros. Like one of the things that I've seen is, you know, family members walking together outside. Now, that shouldn't be strange, but, you know, people are always running around. They don't really have time. So then I've had colleagues tell me that they cut back on work because they realized they weren't spending enough time with their families. Climate change, oh, my God. When we were not outside, the world's pollution level went down. Mm, Surprise. I know. You know what I mean? The animals in the trees. It's like, I hope they don't come back because this is great. But, you know, we had to come back. Um, One of the craziest things is a lot of people quit their jobs. There were a lot of articles on people quitting their jobs because they realized because of the pandemic, because they had time to think that they want to do something more in line with their passion, their destiny. You know, we all have to Mm -hmm. make money. We all have to live somehow. We we need a roof over our head. We need clothes on our back. We need to eat. So now people are just thinking, hmm, let me tell you, I got to be happy while I'm doing it. Because now what the pandemic did is show people that, you know, life is pretty short. Now with artists, right. there were artists that uh, created a new single, created an EP, did an album. Some people actually decided, mm, not doing this music thing anymore. And some people totally mm. decided to rebrand. So during right. this time, did you, so what I'm trying to say, there's a lot of the self-introspection. So during this time, mm-hmm. was there something that you really thought about deeply in regards to your music career? Um, did you decide to stay the same? Is anything changing? What did you think about? Yes, I got over my snobbery about Spotify. <laughs> um, I I did. I just and this and streaming. I kind of had a chip on my shoulder for a long time about streaming and how. It just, you know, robs the artists and just pays mm-hmm. all the big platforms, but it doesn't really pay us anything. And CDs are gone. And it's like, okay, this is obviously not coming back. So right. you've got to figure out a way to get your music out and make some substantial streams. Because I really just didn't even try before. I just didn't like it. So right, right. I, I, I bought the Indie Spotify Bible, and mm. I sat down 10 to 20 hours, and I curated individual emails to every playlist where I song, and I asked them to add me to their playlist and I got on hundreds of playlists that way oh, wow. um, because I saw I just saw the power of virtual and mm-hmm. um and I also was a music director so I have been I developed a songwriting workshop Throughout COVID, well, I wrote it before COVID, the library system asked me to create a songwriting series for teenagers, and I did, and then COVID happened, and I never got to tour it. But through Zoom, I've been able to teach and mentor a lot of emerging artists, okay. which has been really I My heart is a songwriter. And I've get, gotten to take some of those artists to the studio, see their vision come to life, be the creative producer on it, which I had not really done much of before. I'd done it for myself, but I'd never done it for other artists. And to have them be so happy with the product was like, wow, now I want to be a music producer, too, because I love this part, too. So, you know, sometimes I think there are roadblocks that you either have to get the strength to overcome the roadblock or they're meant to divert you to another. Not all roadblocks are bad. They they can set you on a new 
I agree. I agree 100%. Um, Spotify is very interesting. Everybody has a different take on Spotify. And I was talking to somebody many moons ago about this. Like, obviously, the pay on Spotify is poop. Okay? We can all agree on that. Um, But what one friend told me is that you have to look at it this way as well, is that while you're on that platform, many people can discover you. So you can gain fans. Uh, on on mm-hmm. Spotify, all these streaming platforms, you can gain fans. You just have to know how to use it. Just like you during the pandemic, my my God, I took every darn course there was. Think licensing, Spotify, TikTok, you name it. I was mm-hmm. <laughs> I took courses on everything so that I could update myself on everything that's going on in the world and how we as artists can promote our music on social media and how. It really works. I, too, have the Indie Bible. I have, like, several um, versions of it, and I have the Spotify playlist one, which, I said, you know, you, you basically have to allot time for that. <laughs> I mean, Oh, yeah. You know what I, I mean? It's just a lot of time just to sit and do that. I have this. I still have to do that mess with Lord Jesus. Um, but I, I, I hear you. Um, I, like I said, streaming is just, it's just funky. Um, but, hey. But during the but pandemic, the world. Got, to know, got to know who we were. Right. You know? So Exactly. Now, why did you decide to get into music in general? Was it something that you saw, heard, or did you just come out of the womb? And Irene was born. Irene Rose was born. And music was just like, <laughs> yeah, I'm doing this thing. Watch out. Here I come. Oh, yeah, I always wanted to be a singer ever since I was really little. Um, I would use hairbrushes, of course, candles. I'd pull them off the candlesticks and sing. I would stand on the ottoman in my room, having the living room. Um, my, I have two sisters, and we were a trio when I was in high school. And um, every through our doors, my parents would be like, oh, girls, sing for them, sing for them. So we, I just, yeah, I sang forever. Um, but the decision to become a professional singer uh, I guess was in college. Um, okay. uh, in college, I started singing coffee houses, and my dad's boss hired me to sing a Christmas office party, and I got paid twenty dollars, and I just thought that was the greatest thing ever. <laughs> and and um, then I went to creative arts school overseas in New Zealand, and when I came back, I really hit it hard and bought a sound system and bought my own guitar and started gigging. And someone said, well, are you a professional musician? And I was like, oh, no, no, no. And I was like, well, wait, what is, like, so do you get paid to sing? And I said, I do. Because then you're a professional singer. It's your profession. And I was like, well, yes, I am. And um, so I've really been doing it professionally and as my job since I was 23. So right after college. Good for you. Now, why did you, ch- now, I think that children's music has got to be one of the toughest genres out there. I have a lot of friends that do it. Um Mm-hmm. Cool. So why choose children's music? And I have a lot of respect for people that do children's music because I'm like, you really, you really have to know your stuff. I mean, you you really have to be good at that. <laughs> well, I absolutely adore children. I've always loved them. I was a children's minister for 15 years. Oh, okay. I was school director, uh, a school music director for 10 years. Hmm. Um. I've always worked with children. I've been a teacher, but I did not want to do children's music because I I loved writing deep poetic things 
No, I was a country singer eight years first. And oh, wow. everybody, my, my mom basically was like, you should, you should write children's music. And once again, I was like, no, I don't write the wheels on the bus. I write deep music. <laughs> and, and after, so I got a, I got a record deal when I was 27 and I was so happy and bright eyed and just, you know, went to Nashville thinking that this was great. And I got put up in a mansion and all this, like it was the life I wanted and I looked at my music at the end of the year, and it was so sad, Nat. Like, my mm-hmm. music was sad. I was sad. Nashville is an amazing place, but, man, it just sucked my soul out. Mm. And I felt, well, you have, a, you have a platform, and people listen to you. You better darn well say something worth saying. And I wasn't anymore at the end okay. of that year. And I looked at people like Mr. Rogers. And mm. how he impacted children through his kindness. And I thought, I can do that. And right. I stood in the river. I was at a camp out. And I stood in the river and I prayed and I said, God, if you want me to be a children's performer, I'll do it. But you have to make it abundantly clear to me that that's what you want me to do because I don't want right. to do that. An hour right. later, my friend called me and she's like, Irene, my kids love your country music. And I really think you should write a kid's album and I'll, I'll distribute it for you. I'll sell it in my magazine. And I was like, mm. okay, there it is. <laughs> An hour after I prayed that. So um, I, I came back, I started my company, I did all my children's music and it's been much more successful than my country music. Wow. I love that. And I'm, I love that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're following your heart. You're following your mm-hmm. intuition. You know what I mean? So that's a beautiful Absolutely. thing. Now, how important is it for you to be authentic, authentic in your music, authentic in your life? Well, I don't think that it's really worth doing anything if you don't really believe it. <laughs> so um, I, I think that it's extremely important because I think children especially can spot phoniness a mile away. Yes. Now, you know, I think the word hypocrite is thrown around very flippantly. And it's like, well, everyone's a hypocrite. Unless you're perfect, you're a hypocrite. Because nobody is kind all the time. Nobody does everything right all the time. But, man, do your best. Try. <laughs> so um, I think that having being clear and authentic about who you are will attract your ideal audience. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you if you try to be all things to all men and just be like, oh, every I agree with everything or I don't want to ruffle yeah. any feathers, you're just going to kind of be this wishy-washy person that really doesn't stand for anything. And people are attracted to bold people that speak what they, you know, they speak their mind, they say what they believe in. Even if you disagree with it, I'll right. respect people for taking and what they believe in. I love that. Because I speak my truth all the time. It gets me into trouble sometimes, but I don't have, I don't have time to waste. Um, you know, and I, I am, you know, I'm respectful unless somebody comes at me the wrong way. It's the energy right. you bring to me is what you're going to get back. You know what I mean? I don't right. have time for, like you say, being wishy-washy. Um, when I was a kid, um, I was very shy. You know, I let people walk all over me and life experiences have taught me, nope, that's not going to be me anymore. Um and, you know, you, you got to speak up because you can't allow people just to walk all over you. Um, right. One of, and, and the biggest thing from authenticity is so important to me is one of the biggest keys that I learned throughout the pandemic. 
um, was that when I was doing these tutus, I call them tutus, tutorials on these, all these social media apps, specifically TikTok, it was talking about how all the authentic videos do the best mm-hmm. because when people look at right. that and they see people being themselves, they say, oh, my gosh, I can do this too. You know, stars can right. get on there right. and do their thing, but people don't think, well, I can be just like them. But people, you know, going on there crying or laughing or dancing or whatever, people are enjoying that. They actually say that um, people spend more time on TikTok than they do on streaming platforms like uh, Netflix because everything's like three minutes. I can attest to that. I'll sit down for just, oh, I'm just going to check this out. An hour later. 100%. I'm like, spending way too much time on it. I know. I, I did a video about how my husband made me coffee at three in the morning before he went on a trip. Mm-hmm. And um, because I couldn't, he always makes me coffee every morning, but right. he had, was leaving on it. And I thought, there's no way he made me coffee before he left this morning because it was like 3 a.m. And mm-hmm. I'm coming down the stairs and I, I smelled it and I, and I saw that he'd made me coffee and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that video got like, I can't even remember the number, but thousands and thousands and thousands of views because yep. it was authentic showing a yes. reaction of like, you know, being in love and what a great husband I have. <laughs> that, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Um, what yeah. do you love most about being an artist? Ooh, what do I love most about being an artist? Influence. Mm-hmm. Um, I always wanted to record so that my music would have a further reaching impact than I could geographically have. I can only sing to so many people at so many times, and I can only be in so many geographical locations at once, you know. But with music, I can be in all these different countries. One of my favorite things to do is go on my Spotify for Artists page and see how many different countries are listening to my music. You know, it may just be here, but it's like Thailand and Indonesia and you know, all these, there's like 50 something countries that are listening to it. And it's not a ton. I'm not like super famous or anything, but right. it makes me feel really amazing that some little kid in Korea is listening right. to my song over good. And um, so influence and having a voice that, that hopefully impacts the next generation. Now, wh- what is your song writing process like? And if you, have the old thing called writer's block. How do you deal with that? Hmm. My songwriting process, I would say, comes a lot through conversation, especially okay. in Nashville. Nashville talks in song lyrics. It's a right. songwriter's dream. I mean, you'll just be sitting with at lunch and someone will say, well, there's a little bit of good and the bad, and there's a little bit of bad and the good. And you're like, oh, <laughs> man, i got to write that down. You pull it out. And, um, <laughs> So a songwriter also tuned into things like that, um, things that sound poetic, things that have a juxtaposition to them. Um, so I will chat. I will send on my phone. If I'm listening to the radio and I hear a song that sparks some type of a melody, I'll turn the radio down low and I'll just kind of sing my own melody over it. Right. Um, one of my tricks that I don't other songwriters do this or not, but I'll find a song that I really like the vibe of, like a Megan Trainer song, and I'll go on YouTube and type in the karaoke track version. And then I'll, once again, I'll put it on really low, and I'll, I'll look up what the chord progression is, and I'll just start playing that chord progression, and I'll make up my own completely different melody 
over that beat or over that chord progression because it sparks a new pathway in my brain that creates okay. something I already So um, that's part of it. And I don't, I don't put any parameters on myself. I write all out of order. You know, the bridge may come first, the chorus, I might write the chorus and then realize, no, that's not strong enough, make that into a bridge. You just right. have to get messy with any um, agenda on how it's going to turn out. I like that because, you know, when I'm writing music, I start out, but okay, let me do this, you know, verse, verse, chorus, verse, verse, bridge, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, Natalie, why are you like writing like that? Because you don't even like to write like that anymore. I just like to write the way I want. You know, one of the things I keep telling people is like, what, with music, people are so picky. Oh, no, you have to rhyme. Oh, no, you got to do this. Oh, no, you got to do that. But they don't tell people that paint or draw that. <laughs> They don't say, well, you should have pushed a dash of orange in there. You should have put a dash of blue in there. Mm. They don't criticize our, their artistry like they criticize uh, the, the songwriting profession. I just don't get You're that. Right. You know what I mean? You're right. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it. Yeah. So I've decided, I'm just, I write the way that I want. I don't care. You know, if you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. Artistic. <laughs> Take Natalie, you do what you want. That's your right. Truth, right. That's my truth. That's my artistic freedom. Damn it. So um, <laughs> I'm gonna do it. So yeah. So now I'm just like, and I, what I want the listener to do is say, hmm, I never thought about doing it like that. Huh? That's mm-hmm. kind of something different. It's not the same old stuff that I'm hearing. Wow. Because even in in doing all these uh, uh, conferences and stuff like that. They always tell you, give them what they haven't heard. Mm-hmm. You know, pique their interest. Give them an earworm. That's what you want. Right. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm a social impact writer, so I write about the times and all that good stuff. And, but I, 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 I'm trying to figure out how to do it in such a way that people are going to be like, hmm, hmm, well, yeah, I get that. You know what I mean? My goal is also always to be an effective player. Like you, I want to make a difference in the world. I think that's very important, um, especially in our world today. It's just, whew, it's just messy. Um, I'm going to play your song, Love Makes the World Go Round. Tell me what that's about. Well, I find it very um, important when you're working with children to tell them what to do as opposed to mm-hmm. what not to do. Right. So I'd of parents that bullying was a big issue and this song was a little bit inspired by a book called I'm actually not sure what it's called but it's about filling your bucket and it's about how everybody's heart is like a bucket and you can either be a bucket filler where you are pouring love into people or you can be a, a bucket dipper where you're dipping and you're taking things out of people and so it's just about being kind how to be a friend how to really Fill, fill people's love, fill people's buckets with love. I love that. Let's play it. Thank you. Show you hate, I'll show you love. Cause love me. 
Yeah, so <clears throat> what you do, when, once you become a voting member, professional member, you can submit your own music, and then what happens next, it gets on the ballot, and then people have to vote on the, you know, the songs they really like the most, the album that, or songs that they really like the most, and then the final ballot comes out with, you know, the five nominees. I mean, it's an arduous process. You listen to lots of music. You get to vote in three fields, you get three fields, ten categories. Uh, but I think you definitely should try to become a member and submit your music. Well, thank you for that confidence. I will look into that. Now, do you, now I see that you won um, some competitions. You won some radio songwriting competitions, but you've also been on uh, America's Got Talent and American Idol. You're I did not get totally on them. I was selected for private showcases. Okay. So, okay. What people don't know is that you have to go through about five rounds of auditions before you get to the celebrity judges. And they only take the absolute best in the country and the absolute worst. Or like the people that are just really going to be great entertainment. And so I somehow got selected to be like in the fourth round, like the round right before you get to the Hollywood Ooh. producers, they took a lot of professional musicians in Charleston, and we were in our own little private showcase. And, um, yeah, they told me that they, they loved my voice. They said they would take me on, on personality alone, but that they were not looking for a country singer that year. So oh, wow. They, yeah, they, you know, I guess, you know, every year they might want – one year they might want an R&B singer. One year they might want a country singer. Um and I don't really, I think that I can sing for sure, or I wouldn't have made a living out of it, but I don't really think that I'm American Idol type singer. I think songwriting is more my bread and butter, but I love to sing it too. <laughs> so I'm not surprised that I didn't get on the show. Oh my gosh. I, yeah, you know, those shows are, <laughs> they have their well, own, yeah. they, already, they already know what they're looking for. So, it's, you know, you could say it's kind of rigged to a certain, um, to a certain degree, yeah. you know what I they mean. They can't have a headed country singer win every year. You know, they just can't. They have to switch it up. Right, right. I mean, I interviewed somebody that actually got on The Voice, and she got really far on it. But um, and they scouted her out. She was somewhere. They scouted her out, and she had decided she didn't want to do it. And they kind of said they would do this and that, which they never did. And she said it was the worst experience of her life. She wishes she had never done it. Um, yeah, because what happens with a lot of those shows is that they make you sign these these contracts, and then you're you're stuck for the rest of your life almost. It's just ridiculous. They really are. My, my friends in Nashville were the same way. They were phenomenal artists, and they could not put gas in their car to get to their co-writes because they couldn't make any money because with these shows that were tying tying them up for years, and it was awful. Yeah. I was pretty young when I tried out, and they were like, if you get on this show, will you quit college? And I was like, no. And no. I think they didn't like that answer. Like, I'm not quitting I mean, college. I mean, it's, it's, for me, the music business is, is a scary business to a certain degree because it seems like when these people will just, you know, scammers will just latch on. They just have this – they smell out the people that are just starting out to do music. I don't know how they do it. And they jump on them, and they'll say, oh, I can make you famous and stuff like that. And, you know, a lot of the, the artists fall prey to that, unfortunately. That's why I always tell people to do their research, their due diligence on people. Um, it's very it's very scary.
carry this industry. I mean, I wouldn't, there every day I'm like, oh my God, I don't know if I want to do this anymore, but you know, I stay in it. Um, just because you really, you have to be alert <laughs> in this industry. You, you, I gotta, you have, I gotta, go ahead. Go ahead. Can I tell you something about that? Sure. Sure. So I, I was at this bar in Mount Pleasant, and this guy says to me, I like your cowboy boots. You look like a country singer. And I was like, I am a country singer. And he points to his friend. He goes, do you know who this is? Some, like, old man. And I was like, no. He goes, this is Holly Parton's cousin. And I was like, okay, yeah, right. He pulls out his pulls out his license. He shows me his name. His last name is Parton. And he's like, yeah, I am Dolly Parton's cousin. And my son runs the Grand Ole Opry pre-show. And so, you know, I'm, of course, interested in that. Yeah. So we talked for a while. He buys my he buys two of my CDs. Actually, pays me for them, which I thought was really nice. And um, I'm going to Nashville a few weeks later, and I call him on my way to Nashville, and I said, "Hey, we just passed Dollywood, and just wanted to say hello." And he's like, "Well, I'm going to Nashville this weekend too, and my my, do you want to sing the Grand Ole Opry?" And I was like, "Oh, let me think about that for a minute." Yes. <laughs> and he's like, "Well, my nephew's the one." So I'll I'll get you I'll get you on the opera stage and I was freaking out I was maybe I think I was 24 23 24 right. really young and so my little sister and my best friend at the time are in the car with me and we're like oh my gosh we're gonna sing the Grand Ole Opry so we call our parents and all our parents start packing because we live 10 hours from Nashville they're all gonna get in the car and come they're like if our kids are singing the Grand Ole Opry like we gotta go so we right. get to Nashville. We go shopping. We buy all new dresses, all new shoes. We practice. We're like, this is our dream, our first day in Nashville. Like, we're going to get to sing the Grand Ole Opry. And you know what, Nat? Mm. That man never called me again. Are you? And I never heard from him again. I called him, and he answered the phone, and he, he hung up, and he never called me again. See. And it was such a heartbreak. And, you know, I, but I wrote a song about him, about how, you know, everybody will promise you the world and they'll just lay the world right at your feet, but you have got to just continue to make your own way and don't believe everything everybody tells you and don't Amen. run away at the first re- and just keep on going. But, um, but yeah, he made it into one of my songs. So I'll never forget Dolly Parton's cousin. <laughs> oh, my gosh. See, that's the stuff, honestly. Natalie, uh-uh. yeah, I would have. I would have. I would have gone and found found him, put him on a billboard. <laughs> it's just, it's just, I, I don't know like, why people have cousin, but he just didn't have the clout and he was embarrassed, I think is what happened. Mm. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Well, you live and you learn. That's what I say. <laughs> now, I love the fact that uh, you work in regard, you work with anti-bullying and human trafficking advocacy. One of the biggest things for me is bullying. And I don't think our, our country or the world deals with bullying the right way. Um, you know, mm-hmm. they don't really deal with the bullies themselves. They don't come to try to understand uh, why people bully and deal with them in the sense most people that are bullying is because something that they don't like about themselves so they lash out and t- take it out on other people or the students or whoever. And I feel like these schools and these institutions just don't, they just ignore it. They're just like, ah, 
you know, there's your kids. They'll get over it and stuff like that until somebody comes into a school and tries to shoot somebody up or the kid that's being bullied kills himself. Um, and human trafficking is such a, a huge thing that's been going on for centuries, centuries. Right. And I, I see now that they're doing more and more to find uh, these young girls and young men because men can get tra- trafficked as well. I think um mm-hmm. They're, they're the people that they don't look at the most because they just, you know, they say, oh, they're just going to traffic women. But men do get trafficked as well. Our kids get trafficked. Um, how did you get started in both of those things? I was a missionary with a group called YWAM, Youth with a Mission. And I was in Thailand, and I saw I saw the brothels, and I saw the red light district, mm-hmm. and it broke. And I cried. And I did nothing. I didn't know what to do. And right. two years later, the Passion Conference in Atlanta, which is a big, thousands of Christian college students go to it. And they had an exhibit called Do Something Now. And it was set up like a brothel. And they had hidden video camera footage of little girls being basically auctioned off and men just picking them from behind a plate of glass. And I just was oh. sleeping in front of hundreds of people and I didn't care and I said I cannot not do anything about this so um, I started a program called Stop Traffic at Prom where I organized local salons to donate their services on the day of prom we did a big event where they would send one or two beauticians to the church where I was a children's minister and we set it up with food and music and musicians and all the girls got their hair done for prom and we raised a bunch of money to go to Shared Hope International, which is run by Linda Smith, who is a congresswoman in in conjunction with stopping human trafficking. So that event was a success. And then we did it the next year and we partnered with Paul Mitchell Beauty School. And I've been involved with Operation Underground Railroad, We did a big thing at the music hall downtown where we did a documentary and a screening and raised awareness. But we were focusing on the girls going to prom because they're the age that are being trafficked. And we wanted to raise awareness. Like, this is what what it looks like. This is how it can happen. It's not always a stranger. It could be someone who you think is your boyfriend. It could be, you know, and, and just educating people and also trying to, trying to stop the problem, which sadly, I don't think it's gotten any better. I think 10 years later, it's even worse. So that's pretty discouraging, but you got to just keep fighting against the the darkness, no matter how dark it gets. Amen to that. I agree with you. We've got to keep fighting. Keep fighting in this Mm -hmm. world. Um, I'm going to play your song, if I can find it on here, because I did put it on here. Where is it? Where is it? It's hiding. Your song, Grumpopotamus. Tell me what that's about. I was at a party one time, and there was this little girl who was maybe about one year old, and she was tired and hungry and cranky, and her grandmother was holding her, and she just said, you look like a little crankopotamus. And I thought, what a funny word. I've never heard that before. So I wrote it down in my phone, and I changed it to grumpopotamus. And I just wanted it to be this kind of, fantastical story about when you grumble and complain, you become the grumpopotamus. You turn into this monster that you don't want to be. And when you count your blessings and you're grateful instead, it turns you back into yourself. So it's just kind of, that's, that's the premise. The grump, don't be a grumpopotamus. All right. Let me play it. 
So one of the Maybe things. Into, that, go ahead. Maybe getting into co-writing earlier. Um, I didn't start co-writing until I was 27 in Nashville, and I've been writing since I was 10. I've okay. never really written songs with people, and then in Nashville, I wrote with other people every day, and that was really great because I learned a lot from other people. Um, yeah, probably not trying to do it all on your own. I'm kind of, I've kind of always been a little individualistic and tried to do everything all on my own. I think I could have learned more faster if I had collaborated with people. Okay. Um, what else? I wish I had known. Probably, I don't know, metadata. Like, I just feel like uh, there's a lot of my songs that have played Ooh, out yeah. there and not reported properly. <laughs> and yeah. I'm figuring, figuring out the business side better. Um, right. Gosh. I don't know. I can't. I, I wasn't prepared for that question. What I wish I had known. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I maybe I maybe wish I had gone to Nashville when I was 23 instead of 27, because I got an opportunity to go, or I was good enough. 23, and I got scared, and I didn't think I was good enough, and I didn't go because my friend got married, and she was going to move with me, and she she backed out. So I thought, well, I can't go by myself. And then I went at 27. And I was kind of on the upper cusp of age, honestly, at 27. And okay. I, I don't even wish I had gone earlier because I feel like everything works out for a reason. And I wasn't as good as I was when I went. Like, I wouldn't have been that good at 23 that I was at 27. So I'm sorry. I don't have an answer for that one. I, I can't think of one. You, you just gave me a bunch of answers. What are you talking about? <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I can't think of a third so I, you know, one of the things is a lot of people don't understand how hard the music industry is. So I think that what I tell people, if, if people just don't understand, it's a lot of it's a lot of damn work. Social media oh, makes uh, it a lot of work. You know what I mean? Back in the day, you could walk into a radio station and say, "Here's my little record," blah blah blah. They may play it. Now it's pay to play. Now you have to be on all these. You have to. Oh, will this song work on TikTok? Will it work on Instagram? Will it work on Facebook? So there's a lot more that you have to do. It's way more work. Um, and you know, like to try to get a manager, a booking agent. It's hard. It's not easy. People just don't take you like that. People want to see your numbers on streaming. They want to see your numbers on the social media stuff. And if you're an introvert, let me know. But it's not, yeah, it's not going to work. You have to be oh, out there do, doing your thing. You got to, you know, a lot of people, oh, I don't want people in my business. Well, the thing is, people want to get to know you. Who are you? Right. How can they relate to you? How can they say, oh, my gosh, Irene Rose, she gets me. I'm going to listen to her more often, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's, it's the thing. So my thing is, is this is just a lot more work. Get ready. Your, your butt's going to be doing this 24-7. It's just 24-7. That's all it is, 24-7. I, it, it, like, you have to do every single piece of it. You have to be a video producer. You have yeah. to be an actress. You have to be a model. You have to be a singer, a songwriter, a producer own a studio like you really have to do it all and you have to constantly ask people to listen to you which is hard you know it, it feels icky after a while to be like listen 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 to me but you just got to say something worth saying and hopefully people right. will find you and you. amen to that amen to that well irene thank you so much for being on chatting with net it was my honor to have you on my show and i love your music 
thank you for your time. Thank you for listening to this platform, and um, I hope to talk to you again soon. You're awesome. Definitely. Definitely look into, I'll try to find the link, that that becoming a member of the Recording Academy, because I definitely think you should submit your music. Okay. Yeah, that would be great. All right, everybody, that was Irene Rose on Chatting with Nat. She's awesome. you got to listen to her on Spotify, and you can do what? You can buy her music. Yeah, that old-fashioned thing called buying. All right, she's on Instagram, IreneRoseMusic.com. She has a YouTube channel. She's on Facebook, Irene Rose Music. She's on Twitter, Irene Rose Sip. She's on LinkedIn. And if you don't remember that, you know what you can do. You can Google Google is a beautiful thing because I can't remember half the stuff that I'm on. So until next time on Shutting with Nat. Thank you, Irene. <laughs>